Good morning. It is Monday, April 17th. It's five minutes after 10. You're listening to Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC. Thank you for joining us this morning. We're also on YouTube. Just type in Kendall and Casey into the YouTube search bar. So should we talk about Donald Trump? Yeah, why not? Everybody else is. And his 24 fundraising has been turbocharged by his indictment. Two weeks after that arraignment and indictment in New York, he's already raised over $15 million. It's a staggering amount of money, isn't yeah. it? Here is the question. So I saw this and I thought, okay, so the question on this is, if it's coming from the same people, though, what good does that really do you? Because nobody thinks Donald Trump lost in 2020 because of a lack of resources. It wasn't like, oh, my gosh, if people had just known Trump was running for president. They, it's like, <laughs> if he would have just had more money to get his you, message out. You, you could say this all the time, especially like local candidates, whatever. Boy, I was just swamped with funds from the other guy, and I didn't have an opportunity to get my message out, or my favorite candidate didn't, and that's why they lost. And there's probably merit to it. In the case of Trump, Everybody knows he's running for president. Everybody knows he's been the president. Everybody knows he wants to be the president again. So if indeed the money and this, I don't, I'm, there, obviously there's ways to track this. And this would be what would be interesting to me is, is the money coming from the same usual donor pool or is it new people engaging in the donation process? And how does he turn those dollars then into extra votes? Something that I read that I thought was kind of interesting is that he is raising $168,000 a day. How much? 168000 Well, that's almost as much as you make here. <laughs> sure it is. But you know what? You know what? It's not. Michael Cohen, the guy that he's suing, is spending $100,000 a day, and Trump is making $168,000 a day. Now, I know Trump can't use any of that money for his legal fees. That's all pack and yeah. election money. But isn't that something, how one guy is making more than what the other guy's Spending. It was very interesting. I was at a cookout yesterday and um, was talking to, it was all people that were younger than me. And so these people were a affluent suburban couple in their early 30s, college educated people, you know, very nice house. And I was talking to them about obviously when they, you know, what do you do? Oh, you're that guy. And then they want to start talking politics. And so I was talking to them about the presidential primary and Trump. And I said, well, you know, what are your thoughts on Trump? I asked the wife, I said, what are your thoughts on, on Trump? And she said, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, I'm not quoting this verbatim, but she said, and it's so interesting because it is almost the exact same thing we have been saying. There is just so much of him. Mm. And she said, he never can take his foot off the gas and it is very tiring at yeah. times. And this is a person who voted for Trump, would certainly vote for the Republican nominee, who you know, whoever it is. Again, this is not some liberal person. But what I'm saying is, if a person who voted for Trump and will would vote for Trump if they are the, he is the Republican nominee again, is saying there's a lot of him and he's exhausting and he never stops. People who are not, who don't understand exactly what's going on and don't understand exactly the condition of the country and don't understand exactly where we're moving as a society, they will not pull that lever for Trump no matter what. And so I thought that was very interesting, even from people who are Trump voters and Trump supporters, 
that she was saying the exact same things that we have been saying, which is the point I'm trying to get across to people about the difference between picking a Trump versus a Ron DeSantis. You know what her thought on DeSantis was? He's done a really nice job Mm -hmm. running his state. That's what she had to say about Ron DeSantis. You know, she's not uber into the politics like we are. She can't tell you, you know, exactly everything Ron DeSantis has done. She's not uber in on DeSantis going after Disney. But the public perception of the fringe informed vote, casually informed voter is Ron DeSantis is a competent governor who's done a really nice job running his state. And Donald Trump is really exhausting. Okay, so it sounds like she's got some Trump fatigue. And when he's dominating the media and he takes all of the oxygen out of every room that he enters, it does get tiresome. And that's like, to your point, what we've been saying. And it's just going to get worse as we get closer to the primary. And he has more of these legal battles coming up. Yeah. We're just going to see more and more of him. Now, some of that is the earned media that he's getting. And of course, he's making his legal battles the centerpiece for his fundraising. But, you know, what is she seeing of Ron DeSantis? Somebody who's not constantly in her face. Yeah, and when you think about Trump, so much of what we talk, and it's, look, it's great for our ratings. There's no doubt, because we, we got in talking about this, because she said, well, you know, what do you think about it? And I said, well, I need this Trump DeSantis thing to go for a long time, because like, we can see what <laughs> happens to our ratings, and it's great for us. But I, I said, from as an American, as a person who loves this country, uh, while Trump being the nominee would be far better for our ratings and for what we do, because he's wildly more entertaining than Ron DeSantis will be, all the stuff we almost, almost all the stuff we talk about with Trump, the policy positions and the plans for the country are secondary. When we come in and talk about Trump, what do we talk about? It's he's being sued in New York. He's being tried in New York. He's probably about to be tried in in, in Georgia. Uh, it's Stormy Daniels. It's Michael Cohen. It's Kristen McDougal. Uh, it, it's it's going to be this E. Carol Jean. Where 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 was Melania? Where is she? You know, it's always something other than the policies. And the Biden policies are so bad that if you can just get someone up there. Who, again, I'm not advocating for Jeb Bush or Chris Christie. I'm saying a reliable, liberty and freedom-based conservative who can spend the overwhelming amount of his time talking about the policy itself. That is so much more beneficial to the odds of winning the election because everybody already has an opinion on Trump. Trump can't get to the policy with most people anymore because either you hate him or you love him. And if you hate him, and I think this is weird... I think it's very odd that people vote based on their feels or their Twitter or their whatever, but they do, and their vote counts the same. And why, why if you're going to pick between two people and you had to say, I'm either going to have a guy in which suburban women, even the ones who know what's going on, are saying, wow, it's really tiring mm-hmm. to have to vote for or defend with my friends or whatever you, why would you subject yourself to that? Why would you say, yes, please more of that? (laughs) I want more of that. No, it needs to be less bravado, more policy. And you asked about, is it the same people donating? Well, two weeks after his arraignment, he received more than 312 donations, and the average contribution was $49. So he's getting... You mean mean 312,000? 
312, yes, 312,000 donations, and the average contribution was $49. Well, okay, then that... that so that, it's a lot of people yeah, giving a little. that's good. I mean, that's that's good. That's interesting. I just, I'm just not sure how he's going to turn that into people who are already baked in. We don't like you. Yeah. Trump lost... Okay, Trump lost that election for a variety of reasons. One was creative jelly bean counting. One was mass mail-in voting. But Donald Trump, whether you love him or whatever, you would be doing yourself a disservice and you are being intellectually dishonest with yourself if you would say there were not millions of gettable votes out there that Donald Trump needlessly chased away based on his behavior as president that had nothing to do with his policies as president. Okay, so Trump, of course, was at the NRA convention held in Indianapolis over the weekend, and he was talking about school shootings. He said they're not a gun problem. It's a mental health and spiritual problem. Our country has been chock full of guns for centuries, and there was no talk of massacres of school children until around the year 2000. That's when it really started. They started talking about it. This is not a gun problem. This is a mental health problem. This is a social problem. This is a cultural problem. This is a spiritual problem. Mm. We need to stop suspending reality. Yeah, and then he made one other point that was just great, and I thought this was, was spot on. He said, if we can spend $120 billion to Ukraine, then we can totally afford to protect our schools. If we can send $120 billion to Ukraine, then we can afford one-tenth of that amount to protect American children in American schools. There's always money for everybody else but us, Casey. You know, over the weekend I was talking with my daughter. We were kind of having the conversation of what do you want to be when you grow up? You know, she's a junior at Purdue and we're nearing the time where she needs to figure out what she's going to do with this degree. And the conversation of, well, do you think maybe you'd want to teach came up yeah and i was i was surprised by her response because she said that's a backup backup plan and the conversation went well you know they're really hurting for teachers now i'm sure that could be a path you could go down and her response was that she didn't want to go to work every day feeling like she would be in danger because she went to school every day Uh uh-huh growing up with active shooter drills. So her point was kind of along the lines of Trump's, like, you know, hey, if we can protect the schools more. We were talking about this off air. Isn't that interesting? And I can say this as a highly neurotic person with obsessive compulsive disorder. So I am I am saying this as someone who does this all the time. In her mind, mm-hmm. the school is this incredibly unsafe place. When I bet statistically, if you just looked at the actual data, her current job in the retail industry that she has right now. Probably more dangerous. Far more at risk of being robbed right. or accosted or whatever than in a in most public schools. Most public schools in Indiana do a pretty good job. And nobody is more critical of the public school system than me. But at the actual securing, now the inside of the school, that's a different story. There's a lot of maniacs out there. But the actual getting into a school to perform an active shooting of some sort, most especially central, suburban public school systems do a pretty good job of defending the fortress but in her mind because it's been was she seeing it right but you but, see it plastered all but over the media she's not seeing the countless robberies and muggings and right 
and I, I and I wonder, like, okay, is she seeing the videos of all the riots that happened in Chicago over the weekend? Is she seeing all of the looting that happens in L.A.? And that, but that's she on, seeing those. But that's on you. You got to say that to her, Casey. <laughs> I'm serious. No, you're laughing about that. You can't. You can't just. I'm not telling you how to parent, but I'm telling you how to parent. Um, <laughs> From the guy who doesn't have a child yet. I have a child on, on, on the way. Yeah. On the way. And I'm already parenting that kid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as so, so, soon as she gets out, can't wait for you to get a job. <laughs> right. Uh, uh, but, but get the, to work. But I mean, the, the, and I'm the same with like, it's like airplanes. I know d- uh, data shows it is markedly safer to fly on an airplane than drive in a car. <laughs> but because of my obsessive compulsive disorder and my high level of neurotic behavior that goes in and out of this brain, you really got to pound that into my head mm-hmm. for me to believe that. Because it's an unfounded fear. Why? Because every time there's a car accident, it's not on the news. Every time a plane goes down, it's, it's on the, the lead story on the nightly news. And yeah. you go, wow, that'd be a terrible way to go. I don't blame her, though, for those feelings because she was the generation that grew up with the active shooter drills. Sure. So that was implanted in her brain while she was a student. I remember after Columbine happened, I was a freshman in high school, and their response to that was, yeah, I guess we better start locking the doors of these classrooms. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it's just gone so far yeah. overboard. All right. Hey, when we come back, you know, Casey, we talk on this show a lot about how these politicians, they don't read anything. Mm. They have no idea what's going on. They vote on things all the time. They have no idea what's actually in these bills. And we're going to play you some audio from out in Oregon that proves exactly what we've been saying. A great example of that. It's 18 minutes after 10 with Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC. It's after 10 with Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC. And Elon Musk is going to be on Tucker Carlson tonight. Here he states, governmental agencies had access to everything on Twitter before he took over. The degree to which uh, various government agencies had effectively had full access to everything that was going on on Twitter uh, blew my mind. Um, I was not aware of that. Would that include people's DMs? Uh, Yes. Hmm. That's good to know, right? Well. <laughs> He's changed that. <laughs> also, trying- uh, in, in fairness, I was always the receiver, never the sender. Mm-hmm. Of the DMs? <laughs> sure. Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy was at the uh, NRA convention. He got a standing ovation. Here he is talking about being pro-family. The fatherlessness epidemic, 25% of kids are born into families without a household. Black, Black Lives Matter says they want to annihilate the nuclear family structure. You want to know what I say? The nuclear family structure is the best known form of governance to mankind. We actually need to bring back the family because that's actually what creates the shooting problems in this country. Fix the problem. That's the angriest I've ever heard him. Yes, he's very passionate. <laughs> your, bo- your boyfriend is fired up. Mm-hmm, he was. And finally trending, the show called Jury Duty. Okay, so I filled out my questionnaire for Jury Duty. That's right. I have to call on May 8th to see if I have to serve on May 9th. But a WIBC listener turned me on to this show. It's uh, on Freevee. It's called Jury Duty. I bin- binged the whole thing oh. over the weekend, six episodes. Uh-huh. So the premise is... Is it new? It's a new show? It is. It's a new show. And the premise is that... But everybody is an actor except for one guy. Oh. And it it, it it just turns into crazy town. And he doesn't, it, he doesn't realize that he's being punked. 
Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. I mean, the judge is in on it. All of the other jury members are on it. <laughs> the attorneys, even even it's a, a civil trial. Yeah. Um, it it kind of reminds me of Reno 911 uh-huh. a little bit. Uh, but the guy doesn't realize that. He doesn't know. He doesn't know. And I was left with a cliffhanger, and they release uh, two new episodes every Friday. Oh, wow. So I'm left where they're going to start deliberating. But it's it's funny and awkward. Does anyone here have any reason why they don't feel like they would be a good juror for this case? Yes. Um, I feel like there's a chance that I might be an unwelcome uh, distraction. Why is that, sir? I'm a recognizable public figure. Respectfully, I don't <laughs> recognize you. I'm sorry. Who are you? That's uh, that's okay. A lot of people do. My most recent movie is this movie Sonic the Hedgehog, and we were just this gentleman and I were just chatting about it earlier and yesterday, and he's a big fan. And and we you were talking to this gentleman. You stand up. Do you know who this fella is? I do. Yeah. It took me a little bit to notice him yesterday, but I recognize him. Yes. What has he done? He's done X-Men, Sonic, he's in Hairspray, 27 Dresses, uh, Death at a Funeral. Um, Have you seen all those films? No. Okay. Do you think that that him sitting would be a distraction? Not for me, no. With all due respect, I don't think you'd be a distraction either. So (laughs) why don't you both sit down? So James Marsden is an actor, and he plays himself. Uh Uh-huh in this show uh-huh. and he's trying to get out of jury dude he's saying he's a public personality <laughs> that might work for you that's what i'm wondering you, you think should, i can do that you need to i'm telling you if you want to get out of jury duty <laughs> you need to wear a and i've got one in the back if you need to borrow it a trump hat oh boy. and you need to wear that wibc uh radiothon shirt and there's no way you're not getting out of jury duty it's my civic duty to go so i'll go and we'll see what happens all right real quick before we go to a break casey you know on this show all the time we talk about the very terrible public policy that comes out of the state level, the federal level, the local level. And the biggest reason that happens is the people that we elect, despite being intellectual super giants, men's members, road scholars, they just don't read anything. Mm. They just are very lazy people and they vote on things all the time where they have no idea on what they're voting. And we have a great example of this, an audio, so they can't say, oh, you guys are making that up. And trust me, this is happening, not on this specific type of bill, but this sort of thing is happening here all the time. So in Oregon, there is a bill in front of the legislature that would permit a child of any age to have an abortion. 10, eight, no limits. And they are hearing this bill and they have one of these um, kind of nonpartisan attorneys. Now, I'm sure this person has a political affiliation, but they are there as a nonpartisan to interpret the legal, you know, maneuverings of the bill. What does the bill actually say? Legislative services are kind of what they're called here in Indiana. And they ask this attorney about one of the members, I'm sure, assuming it's one of the few Republicans still left in Oregon, ask this attorney, can an ab- a kid get an abortion at 10 years old under this bill? She says yes, because that's what the bill says. And you will hear, as you have, mm-hmm. the audible gasping and mumbling and murmuring from the people on the committee, the Democrats, because they have not read the bill and they have absolutely no idea what's in it. Uh, so follow up. So a, a 10-year-old can make that decision on their own then? No. Chair Sanchez, Senator Steiner, yes. Uh, Can you? No. No. 10-year-old? I didn't think so for that. I thought it was... Okay. I'm looking it up. Okay. 
Under, sorry, let me clarify, Rep. Sanchez, Sen Senator Steiner, Senator Knope. Under the House Bill 2002, a minor of any age can make reproductive health dis care decisions, and that includes um, undergoing an abortion. I will never forget, Casey, when I found this out firsthand, when I was in there agitating one of my local elected officials, a state senator. I was going to say he's no longer with us. He's physically with us. He's just no longer employed, and mainly because of this, where he is wanting to get me out of the office. He's about to vote on something that's going to be very bad for his constituents. He's doing it because the guy who was in charge of party leadership told him you're going to carry this bill. And he finally just looks at me, and he's got all these bills up on his wall, and he goes, do you see all these bills I have to get through? And I just looked at him and said, because there were like two days left to go in the session, I said, naively, Casey, mm -hmm. yeah. How are you going to read all those? <laughs> and he just stared back at me. I'm not. It's like in the cartoon when the light goes off under uh -huh. the character. These people don't read. They have yeah. no idea what's in these bills. And this is why we are in the position we're in in this country. Well, when it comes to that $1.7 trillion omnibus bill. Yes. How? Sure. How? I don't even think it was physically possible. What, what, it was over 4,000 pages long, and they had 48 hours. Casey, are you implying that Todd Young did not read 4,000 pages in a couple no. of hours? No, I wouldn't do that. It's 1028. We've got your voicemails coming up next with Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC. It's time to hear from you. Kendall and Casey present Voicemails. Brought to you by QC Kinetics for non-surgical regenerative medicine treatments at 317-559-PAIN. I'm so sorry you have just reached my answering machine. It is time to hear from you at 317-684-8444 with your voicemails with Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC. Yeah, so we're going to start with uh, our big topic from Friday, which was the school corporations across central Indiana, administrators admitting on tape, we do the CRT, we do the DEI, we do the SEL, and... Deliberately you, hiding it from parents. Absolutely. And coming up at 1130, I, we've done this many times before. But we're going to break it down again about why this is important, about why it matters, about what it is, uh, because I think a lot of times parents, people, regular people get overwhelmed and go, well, I've heard it's bad, but I don't know, and it's not worth dying on a hill over, and so I don't engage. And so we're going to talk about why you need to engage coming up at 1130. But I got to tell you, I think of all the ones that I saw, Casey, the one I'm most disappointed in is Plainfield. Mm -hmm. Because I've had a relationship with Plainfield going back 15 years, and I've always stood up for them. I've always spoke very highly of them. I've always said publicly they are one of the few schools that I would absolutely have had no problem sending my kid to because they you know, embrace the flag, they embrace the military, they embrace law enforcement. And as Tony Kennett said on Friday, that is just proof that there are no safe public schools anymore. Because in that those clips that we played, one mm -hmm. of them, I think Del Vecchio was her name. Laura Del Vecchio, the assistant superintendent. Yeah, she was on tape. Everybody heard it saying, you know, we do these things and we hide them and we manipulate. And what is so frustrating about this, I mean, she was, you heard it, Kev heard it, everybody heard it. She's caught red-handed. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. There's no misinterpretation. She's the one who was saying she wanted to fly under the radar. Do you have this, Kev? Okay, go ahead. Do you have an equity department or anything like that? So, um, honestly, so we, we had, uh, what we've decided to do is not call attention to it. Um, because when you call attention to it, then questions are asked. And I really believe that um, you can do more good 
under the radar. Right before COVID, we had started some really deep diving into our curriculum and we and and kind of doing that like white privilege walk and making sure like just yeah understand right okay so i would one i'd like to know when the white privilege walk is because i do you have to buy a ticket to that or do you is a registration in advance i'd like to sort of walk run i'd like to attend what you know with my middle income life that i live and my two jobs that i have and my wife works and you know i would just like to know observe what the white privilege walk actually is and be a part of that so if mr vecchio could let us know when that is but Instead of owning it, right? She's on tape. She's caught. There's no manipulation. There's no, here's, they, it's Plainfield School sends out this big thing to the parents. And you know what they should have said? This is egregious. We do not support this. This lady's out of here. Mm-hmm. And anybody else caught behaving like her is out of here too. If you really don't do or believe the stuff that she said, because not only are you doing it, you're hiding it from people, and then you throw in the white privilege walk. She's for somebody who just it's been misconstrued or misinterpreted. She was throwing out a lot of phrases right. there, Casey. It was uh, taken out of context. It was edited. Yeah, the, and and I've told you people this for years. You cannot trust anything these schools tell you now because. They use the word salad. It's like what I went through in Brownsburg, where the superintendent looks a group of parents, Jim Snap, hi Jim, um, right in the eye and says, "Yeah, we're not doing DEI anymore. That did that DEI officer. She, uh, yeah, that didn't work out, and we're not doing that anymore. We're not bringing that back." Okay, cool. We finally have something we can all hold hands and agree on and say, look, we don't agree on everything, but we agree on this. You hired a DEI officer against community opposition. You were wrong. She disappeared. It was a nightmare. We're not doing it. Well, then. Just two months later, the DEI officer's back under another name. You got to delve into the the uh, job description to find it. Then when we find it and put it out, they just change the job description. Then the superintendent goes, well, everyone, Everybody everybody's D- DEI component. And, and then they go, well, then why'd you change the job description again? Well, job descriptions change all the time until they're voted on. You cannot trust any of these people. So here's Plainfield School's response to the parents, all right? And it's a long thing, so I'm just going to read a little bit of it. Our curriculum is based on the Indiana State Standards. Critical race theory is not taught in Plainfield schools. Our curriculum is available for parents to view, and we encourage parents to reach out to their building principal with any questions they may have. Here's so many problems with this, I'm going to hit on a couple of them. Number one, this lady said you can't trust her because they do word salad and, and manipulate the information that you're getting, they put it under the radar, and they can call it, Casey, whatever they want to call it. Mm-hmm. You can't try. It doesn't matter what you say. Instead of just saying, we screwed up, we are wrong, this lady's out of here, anybody taught or caught lining with this lady or teaching these sort of things, out of here too. But no, Mm-mm. absolutely not. So we got a phone call about this from somebody who lives in Plainfield. Hey, aloha, guys. It's Chris. Uh, update on the Plainfield CRT episode. Uh the assistant superintendent has been put on administrative leave at this time, I'm sure with pay. But anyway, uh, there's also uh, going to be a public meeting held Monday, April 24th at 6 p.m. at the Administrative Center in Plainfield. And I just invite anybody who wants to get their words out there to come come join us. Thanks a lot. Monday, okay. yeah, Monday, April 24th. If you live in Plainfield, you go and you be sure to tell them I'm here for Rob Kendall. <laughs> you go. You got to go. You got you to stand up to the podium, too. Yeah, you got to get up and speak. You got to get up and talk because these people 
cannot be trusted. And I look, I feel really bad about this, Casey, because when I vouch for someone or something, I, you know, I'm putting my name behind it. And in the case of Plainfield, unless something comes out and they do this mea culpa and say, look, this is a rogue person and she's out of here and and the, any teacher caught aligning with her or administrator is out of here, then they're standing behind her, which means they're okay with it. And I got fooled, and it's very rare that I get fooled. And I, I, I take this one kind of personally because I've gone to bat for that school corporation from what I saw publicly with my own eyes. But now it turns out behind the scenes, it's all just it's well, crap. She, she is on administrative leave, so she could be one apple in the bunch. Yeah. And I'm sure that that's what they're looking into right now. And more will be found out well, a week from today. Well, if you go, you need to go if you live out there. And when you go, you get up to the podium and say, I'm here because Rob Kendall told me to be here. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, a lot of more calls about property taxes. Uh, Casey, they're uh, making your taxes even more expensive in a way that we had not discussed before. Take a listen. Hey, Rob. I just heard uh, somebody complain about their property taxes and the mortgage exemption going away. Wait till they find out that if you're 65 and older and now your house is worth 200000 you lose your senior citizen uh, or your uh, low-income uh, deduction. Another way they're getting us. You know, another way they actually screw you if you're an old person, too, is they have a very low income cap to get that senior citizen deduction. I think it's like thirty grand. Mm-hmm. Well, there's lots of people who are on Social Security, Casey. Who make more than thirty grand? Yeah. So what? What I mean, if you're thirty thousand, if you make thirty thousand dollars a year, what are you, Bill Gates now? Uh, if you make thirty thousand dollars a year, you're Jeff Bezos. People who make thirty thousand dollars a year, thirty-five thousand, forty thousand, those people are barely scraping by. But the state of Indiana goes, well, you're super wealthy if you're a senior citizen. You don't need no help. Mm-hmm. I got my property tax bill over the weekend. How was it? Two hundred fifty dollar increase. Oh. Is that ten percent more? That's per pay, right? So you're yes. So it'll be five hundred dollars yeah. for the year. So welcome to Indiana, Casey. Yeah, we're so glad you decided to come and live here and buy things and be a part of the community. We're so happy. In fact, we charged you five hundred dollars more for the privilege. Yeah. Of living in Indianapolis. But you know what? Mayor Hogsa is giving me that $100 rebate. That's so true. it's only going to be $400 yeah. for the year. I, That's great. I, I'm super grateful for that. That's great. That All right. Uh, one, one more. Uh, this guy lives in Marion County, Jeff. He's a longtime listener of the show, uh, talking about what's going on with him. But today we got our uh, assessment paper from Marion County. And our home value went from last year to 100, from 114,000 to this year saying it's 154. And we've done nothing to our house. I mean, there's nothing that we did over the last year that would have raised that house $40,000. So I'm going to dispute it with Marion County. Uh, well, I'll probably start with Wayne Township Assessor. But the only thing I can think that's changed in Marion County is it's went from uh, <clears throat> quasi-Republican to total Democrat. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I don't know why they think we went up 40 grand. But uh, I was looking through our tax statement, and there's not one penny out of any of that that goes to the state. It's all local. And uh, so it's up to each county to kind of bring this down. But the lawmakers do have the ability to set those codes and to set those uh, rates, or not the actual rate, but they have the ability to set that cap 
and they need to set a cap on how they're assessing homes. Public, public schools in this state have a disgusting amount of money. I got into Casey this morning at Robin Kendall on Twitter, if you'd like to see it, uh, a little back and forth with an intellectual super giant Menza member, a Rhodes Scholar, no doubt, uh, who tried to say, well, the GOP in the state has declared a war on the public education, or whatever words he used. I mean, that's not quoting him verbatim, but basically trying to say that that, that they're, they're somehow the public education system has been harmed by the Republicans. And I said, buddy. The public education system has more money than ever before. No, uh Yeah, okay. you're like, no, add it up. Yeah. Referendums included. And then he quickly bowed out. I said, why don't you? It's very easy to find how much money comes into our public school systems. Gateway is the website. You can find it. You can look it up. It's very easy. Why don't you look up 2013 versus 2023, and you tell me what those numbers are, but you got to include the referendums. You got to include the federal money that comes in. You got to include the property taxes, not just the money that comes from the state, because it's all taxpayer money. And, well, he quickly bowed out of that conversation. Mm-hmm. Casey, I found out... In, and of course, I just found out at the just over the weekend because, well, you know, we have a bunch of transparency warriors uh, in Brownsburg that uh, they have so much money in Brownsburg, they're buying homes mm-hmm. in the community mm-hmm. and they're paying market price last year. So you remember how much market price was last year? They're paying market price for these homes for the pure purpose of demolishing the homes. They're going to demolish them and put concrete down. Yeah. That's how much money these school systems have. Where I live, they have so much, they can pay market price for nice homes, and they're going to just demolish them. Because they want to make a roundabout? Yeah, there's a big old project, and i got to go to the town planning commission meeting next Monday, so I'll get to see all my rowdy friends from the school corporation. Great thing is it's public hearing, so I get to get up there and talk, so mm-hmm. I'll get to say some things that have been on my chest for a while, and you know we'll get to discuss that. But the point is, this idea from these state lawmakers, well, what would happen to the local school system if there were anything done with property taxes? These people have... The amount of money these schools in Indiana have should make everybody want to puke. They just, it's gross. And they're not doing anything, anything at all to help us, Casey. I'm Nothing. Like, I, I can't wait to hear. He said he's going to contest his property taxes. Well, the problem you run into with that, though, is they're going to pull out the book and go, hey, mm-hmm. uh, his name's Jeff, I think. Hey, Jeff, guy down the street from you sold his home for $160,000. grand. But a $40,000 increase doesn't in matter. value? He it, said they didn't do anything to their house. I'm sure they sprinkled it with love. It doesn't but- matter. That's not like how they base the assessment. Can he get an itemized list of where that money's going to go? No, because they're going to look at him and say, it doesn't matter what you've done to your home. The guy down the street sold his house. Your house is similar enough to his house. Here's the assessed value. Kiss our ass. Mm-hmm. Your bill is due in May. Yeah. We've got Hammer. Thank you, Republicans. We've got Hammer joining us next. It's Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC. It's Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC. Hammer joins us in the studio. Good morning. Hear a little 90s music in the background by uh, DJ Kevy Kev over there. (laughs) So it reminds me of a conversation that uh, Rob and I were having via text. I think this was Saturday, maybe Friday. I can't recall. But I don't know how it started. But we got down a rabbit hole of 90s music. Mm -hmm. And I made the claim that you might not like the music of the 90s per se maybe you do but it's one of the most diverse decades of music in terms of popularity because in the 80s let's be honest the popular types of music were pop and hair band and that's pretty much it right um the 90s you had a little bit of pop 
Mm-hmm. A lot of boy bands. You had grunge, which came onto the scene. You had gangster rap, which kind of really came into the forefront. And toward the end, you kind of had like a little Latin phase. Mm-hmm. And 70s was pretty wild because you had disco and like some classic rock and that's pretty different. Bread, don't forget singer, bread. Singer songwriters. Diary. Right. Yeah. Terry Jacks. But the 90s, man, in terms of just <laughs> different genres that went popular, that all had like number one songs, gangster rap, mm-hmm. pop, uh, grunge, Latin. Yeah. It was a crazy time. Yeah. So, it was a, a, a top 40 program director's nightmare. <laughs> you always right. had to have a buffer song in between. Right. Do you follow, you know, Ricky Martin with Pearl Jam? <laughs> right. Or how do you do that? No, you always had to put like a Sugar Ray in between <laughs> yeah. them to kind of bridge the gap. Uncle Cracker, which I played yes. probably 50 times an hour mm-hmm. when I worked at WZ. Well, that's why. You were bridging the gap. <laughs> so the question became, all right, with all the diverse music that was out there in the 90s. If you had to pick four people on the Mount Rushmore of 90s music, Mm -hmm. who is it? Boy, Nirvana's probably got to be on there, don't they? Kurt Cobain? Yeah. Because he's the face, right? He's the poster boy Mm -hmm. of grunge. So we're just saying individuals. Yes. Not bands, just individual faces. Yeah, Kurt Kurt, Kurt Cobain's got to be there. Even though it was such a short period of time, that whole movement centered around him. So if we're talking about the diversity of the decade... He's got to be on there. Mm-hmm. I would agree with that. I'm going to come at you with, I, and I agree with Kurt Cobain. He's on for sure. I think that's an easy selection. I'm going Tupac because I think the gangster rap has to be represented. And I think your options are either Dre, Snoop, or Tupac. And the way that Tupac checked out, you know, kind of made him more infamous yeah, after that. You're right. You're right. It's like uh, the famous SNL skit where Dana Carvey does the Chop and Broccoli song where they're, they're convincing him, the best thing for your career would be to die. <laughs> no, I've got this great hit. No, we think it would be to die. It really is, right? These artists like a Jimi Hendrix or Janis Joplin or Jim Morrison, uh, you become larger in death than you ever were in life. And you see that, honestly, with presidents too. Yeah. I mean, there are some bad presidents that have kicked the bucket or been assassinated or whatever that as time goes on, you look back on them more fondly. Yeah. Kennedy's a great example of that. Right. So I'm going Kurt Cobain. I've got Tupac. Casey, you've cut your teeth in 90s music. Who who are you coming with? Okay. Well, representing the ladies, it would either have to be Sheryl Crow or Alanis Morissette. Lannis Morissette. Yeah, she was a monster. Jagged Little Pill. Was she the, Was that the ironic song? Yeah. Yes, You Ought to Know, which yeah, may or may right. not have been about Uncle Joey, depending on who you talk about. <laughs> yeah. So where do we put Britney Spears Well, I was, gonna, I was just going to say, the fourth one to me, Britney Spears, to me, has got to be in this equation, because while she only had, what, Hit Me Baby One More Time was 98, is that when she came on the scene? Right, mm-hmm. right. Those two years that she would have had in the 90s were huge. I just feel like, I think she was probably more maybe 2000. 2000s, yeah. Millennial. Oops, I Did It Again mm-hmm. came out right in 2000, and the rest of her career was after that. What's the one where the guy, she gets him to go down in the ocean and get the... Oops, I Did It Again. Is that Oops, I Did It Again? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Oh, you didn't have to do that. Is Mariah Carey invited to this conversation? Oh. No, because that stupid Christmas song. <laughs> <laughs> Only once a year can she get on the mountain. <laughs> so, I mean, Mariah comes out early mm-hmm. 90s, and it's like a powerful voice, you know, mm-hmm. vision of love. And then she kind of goes through, like, her skank phase, and mm-hmm. it's like dancey stuff. <laughs> but she sold a crap ton of records, Yeah, man. she did. Always Be My Baby. Right. Wow, I played the crap out of that song. Now, <laughs> we mentioned Kurt Cobain, the face of the grunge movement, mm-hmm. but I feel like Eddie Vedder is... I was going to say Eddie Vedder. But are you going to put two? Anthony Kiedis, maybe, from Chili Peppers. Because 
the, the Pearl Jam's not grunge, were they? I mean, they came out of the grunge movement. Kind I think of. they get lumped in that category. Do they? For sure. Well, you can't have two yeah. grungers on there, then, can you? Because well, I was thinking about this. Because if you're going '80s, right? To me, the '80s Mount Rushmore is so easy. Oh, yeah. That's Michael Jackson. That's Prince. That's mm-hmm. Madonna. Bruce Springsteen. Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. So that's one, two, three, and four. And you've got multiple pop artists on there because they dominated that era. I think the '90s. If you argue grunge dominated the era, then maybe you have two. And then think about the star power of the '80s when we talked about Springsteen, Michael Jackson, Madonna. That just—they're a one. That's a one seed compared to the '90s, right? I mean, if you're struggling to come up with a fourth one, I mean, it's, just, it's not even close. Think about the '80s. Like David Lee Roth and Cyndi Lauper couldn't even make it onto the mountain. Yeah. Right, and they were monsters in the '80s. Yeah. Who would that fourth one be? Jane's Addiction. No, that's too grunge again. Jane's Addiction. You too. Well, that's interesting. See, to me, I think Bono. YouTube is '80s yeah. though. Like, I, to me, it's you know, still haven't found what I looking looking for and all yeah. that. All of that was bigger than their '90s. Who are the stuff. Macarena people? Los Del Rios. How about the Who Let the Dogs Out people? <laughs> Ricky Martin, get him up on that mountain. <laughs> What's coming up this afternoon? Uh, Guy Relford's going to swing by. He will recap the NRA convention in Indy. Uh, the chicks will join us and the biggest stories of the day. Thanks, Sammer. You're listening to Kendall and Casey on 93 WIBC.